Welcome back to Millennials to Millionaires. I'm your boy, Daniel King Sold. I'm Tui Tui Estate. Sherrod McQueen, CEO of uh, M5B Developments, and thank you for having me on the show once again. We had to have you back, bro. You're especially requested. Okay. You know, they yes. said you were dropping way too much gems in the earlier episodes, so right. they said we had to bring you back so that we can uh, get into a, a little bit of a deeper dive. We want to talk about house flips, mm-hmm. home renovations. We understand before you got into development, you did a lot of that. You know, and uh, my first renovation was uh, an atrocity. I tried to do it by myself and you came to the house and you said, stop whatever you're doing right now. (laughs) But once I got the place fixed up properly, I put in about 20 grand into the basement and um, did did a side entrance, a whole nine yards. And when I looked at the value in my neighborhood, you know, a year later. I got I could get like eighty thousand dollars more for my house, sure, just by having a, a basement. So, can you talk to us a little bit about flips and like, um, what why flips? Like when you first gotten started in real estate, like what what made you want to get involved with flips and renovations? Well, at the time I started, um, it was kind of a um, something that a lot of people were doing. You see a lot of TV shows about it. People were flipping houses and they were making substantial money on on these properties. So I thought it would be a good segue into development. My long-term plan and outlook was always to get into the development space. This is kind of development with training wheels. So before you get to the point where you can take on multi-million dollar development projects, you still have to know that you can manage people, you can uh, connect, you you can find product at a reasonable price, and you can deliver a product. And I think the most important thing is you're gonna deliver a product that people actually like and resonate with. Because when you do your, your renovation, same like when you do your development, it's your vision. It's one vision. It's not like we're creating multiple different buildings. It's one thing. And how does the, the market respond to that? It's very important. So through, through my time doing renovations, I understood what people liked and what people saw in my renovation and how I was kind of being like fashion forward and doing things that maybe other people hadn't done yet and always kind of being on the cusp. So uh, I've, I've taken that and transitioned it into the development space. So that's the whole thing is just making sure that uh, it resonates with your audience. So it was very important. So when people are doing renovations, like what are the main areas of the house that people should focus on? I, I hear like kitchens, bathrooms, the basement are like kind of main areas that are going to increase the value. Are those just the main key points in the house that you want to improve in terms of raising the value or like what other areas should they focus on well don't when people say that i think that's more of just a house yeah it's it's a generalization it's like kitchens and bathrooms and i think you know overall those would add a lot of value but i think the single most important thing you can do to increase the value of the house is paint because it's inexpensive and it's ubiquitous it's everywhere so when you're painting you're painting the whole house kitchens just a kitchen bathroom just a bathroom but if the painting doesn't look right, maybe you have colors that have been too personalized or they're they're not updated, the baseboards aren't white. When you add that fresh coat of paint to an uh, uh, entire property, it changes the entire oh dynamic. Cha- like painting trim, white trim on a property? <laughs> it's different. It's, Night a, whole, and day. it's a whole new thing. Night it's like day. whitening your teeth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so it's a whole thing. It's like, oh, like look at that smile. Up. It's like getting a lineup. It's, yeah. it's totally new. So, and I think it's very important because this is something that, A, a lot of people can do by themselves. You might not be a professional, but if you go get some green tape, you can tape up the walls and you can get that professional appearance. Right. Like if you don't know how to do plumbing or you don't know how to do electrical, don't touch it because it can it can really become a nightmare. But with painting, if it goes bad, you could fix it. 
So I like it. it. It's it's pretty inexpensive. It's something that a lay person can do, and you can transform the entire house. So that those are one of the things that we used to do a lot of. And then people have to understand it depends on what shape the house is in to begin with. Maybe your kitchen is already up to spec. Maybe the kitchen is not as outdated as some other areas of the house. Maybe you have to change the door handles. A lot of times people have gold door handles, and it's like, okay, well, you need pewter or you need silver. When you have gold now, it may look antiquated. So what can we do to to bring the house up to its current form and, and something that you know is in this millennium? So those are some of the, the pointers that you have to take into account. And then you have to look at what is your budget. At the end of the day, when you're doing a kitchen, it can get it could be 30 grand, it could be 40 grand, right? So what is your budget? Maybe you only have a $30,000 budget for the whole entire project. You're not going to spend it all in the kitchen or renovating a bathroom. Then you have to take those monies and you have to spread them. You have to delegate it. And that is the point whenever you're doing a renovation. How do I delegate resources? Anybody can do a great renovation with an unlimited budget. But that's not the reality. The reality is we have a certain budget in mind to to try to get as much value uh, created as possible. And, and what is that? Yeah, no, and that's amazing because I know in growing up in high school, I watched HGTV. Oh, sure. Flip this house, other house, and they make it seem so simple. You buy a house for 300K, you put in 50 grand, and then you end up selling it for 500, make 160 grand. Like it's, it's that easy. Um, I know Tui, I know you did a renovation in Etobicoke. Yeah. And I remember well, I've when done, I, I've done two renovations. You did so two. Far, yeah. yeah. So I, I haven't done too many, but I remember when I got that property on Hanson and I was talking to you about it, you're like, um, yeah, don't put hardwood in there. Put laminate. A lot of people, I feel, they put in too much. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like, there's only so much the property is going to go up. You can put in Brazilian cherry, but if you're in the wrong neighborhood, it, people are not going to appreciate that. Yeah. And I remember you telling I'll give me. the example. So, basically, essentially the law of diminishing returns. Okay. After some, after some point, after an optimal point, what you're doing is only going to negatively affect you. Exactly. Right? You're, just, you're just wasting money. You're losing money. So for my example, for instance, when I was doing my flip in Etobicoke, I like nice things. So I was going super hard. I did wainscoting throughout, but I did like the high-end wainscoting, like multifaceted. It was like a super 3D wainscoting. I did um, full marble floors throughout the whole place. I did uh, hand-scraped hardwood floors, oak staircase, everything, pot lights, coffered ceilings, granite countertops, everything, everything. But the neighborhood could only yield so much. You know, but we still made money. It was a successful flip, but I was shooting for the stars. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make crazy. I'm going to make a killing off this. I'm going to make 200 grand off this, you know. But at the end of the day, the 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 neighborhood can only allow so much. Sure. You know, so I guess that extra money or that extra effort that I had spent into it was more just for personal preference. You know, so I think people got to understand that when you're getting into this renovation or this house flipping space, that there's a certain point that you kind of have to... uh assess whether this is a, a personal preference or if this is something that's going to actually bring value into this property or yeah. and and it's going to be translated into the the future owner I think yeah that's someone going to pay you for what you, for what you did yeah. yeah right and that's why in this that's why i said this like development with training wheels is someone going to pay you because now you're going to do a development site and you're going to ask yourself those certain questions am i going to use caesar stone am i going to use marble in here what am i going to use what are people going to pay for what are they going to appreciate? And what is not going to even resonate with them at all? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to know the difference. But it's crazy because you have to find an equilibrium. You have to. Because you can't go too low quality you know, because nobody's going to want it. Exactly. And they're going to rip it. You know. But you can't go too high because then 
you're just paying a surplus for no reason. You're, you're losing. And you're cutting into you know? your profits. So it's literally finding that perfect equilibrium. So how do you know when to draw the line? Like when you were buying properties to flip, how did you know like, okay, I'm going to stop at 50 grand or 40 grand? Like do you just do a performa per property and you just assessed like the comparables in the market? Like how do you know how much to put into a property and, and even finding like or a good go, deal? Yeah, or finding the right spot. But I think well, you make money on the buy essentially, right? Exactly. Well, you answered the question. You always make money on the buy. So if that that's the gym. What does that mean? What does that mean? People make money think on the buy? that you make money when you sell the property, but you don't. You have to buy the right property to make sure that there's even an exit for you, right? So if if I'm going to buy a $500,000 property, I need to know that, okay, at the end of it, I'm going to put in 50. It's going to sell for seven. But that means I have to pay five. It means I can't pay six. A lot of times what's happening now, because... It's become so trendy to renovate properties. There's bidding wars. And by the time you go in and you pay and you close and you pay your legal fees and then no you put your left. money in, there's <laughs> no money left. Right? So, And that's why. Because they thought they were going to make money on the sell. You know what? I'll just get an extra $50,000 when mm -hmm. I sell. It's, mm -hmm. it's okay. No, but the market isn't going to support that. So you have to be very disciplined. And it's the same thing that translates when, when you're doing development. You have to be disciplined. You have to make sure you have the right location. You have to make sure you put the correct finishings in there. But you can't go overboard. You can't go too far. People aren't going to appreciate it. And people aren't going to actually want to pay you for it. They're going to say, oh, you know what, Shard? I would have rather you not put marble in here and not put granite and actually That's charge it. me $15,000 less yeah. rather than charging me $15,000 more for something that I don't really see the value in. So as I was, I've, I've done under, over 30 home renovations. So my business partner, Yassin, he was actually the person who did the project management side and I found the properties. So I was finding the properties and I was creating the budget. So ostensibly, uh, sometimes this created some conflict because I would be at home and I would come in and say, no, you can't do that. And you know, he'd be like, I was what? here. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, I've been here all week and uh -huh. you just can't, you know, pull up in a fancy car, you're, you're pointing stuff out, telling me I can't do this. We had a property in, in Little Italy on Roxton one time, and um, he had this three-sided fireplace. He got off like Craigslist or Kijiji, and I guess he wanted to really use his fireplace. Mm -hmm. So we had a grand, big, open room, and he took this three-sided fireplace, and he had it all plumbed in, wired up. Um, you know, it was on when I got in there, but it was in the <laughs> middle of the room, yeah. like this great room. Uh -huh. And I had to pull him aside and say, listen, scene, this is not it. We have to we have to remove this three sided fireplace, and I swear I think he still has the fireplace now. He couldn't <laughs> let it go, right? Because he paid, he got a deal, he had this fireplace, uh -huh. and he really wanted to to use it for something, but he was ruining the whole space because instead of having a great room now, you had two smaller rooms, and it, yeah. it, it, he it ruined the functionality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really have to know what you're looking for, and. Um, to, to really be successful in this, you, you have to go through it. Like we've made some mistakes. We put in basement apartments where it wasn't justified. We've, uh, you know, maybe you turn a four bedroom into a three because you don't like the closet space, but then you can't transact it. So every mm -hmm. one of these is not a home run, but it's always a learning experience. So as you go through each iteration, you learn something from the previous time. And, nice. and that's how come, you know, in development, we're able to be successful. Okay, you know what? This is what the audience is looking for. This is what's acceptable. And this is what's gone too far. So you managing the financing, financial aspect of when you're house flipping, what would you say for someone that's around our age group that's looking to get into house flipping? Sure. What type of budget would you say is necessary? What type of planning? What type of execution do, does, does need to be happening for them to be successful in um, house flipping? 
Well, that's the thing. To to, to flip houses, it, it takes a lot of money. And, and 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 they don't show you that on TV. It looks glamorous. But it's so easy. It's so easy. But <laughs> let, like we use real numbers here. But if you're closing a $400,000 property, if you don't put down 20%, which is $80,000, then you're going to pay a CMHC fee, right? And a CMHC fee is like 3% of, of the purchase price. So that's 12, 12 grand, grand plus HST. Plus legal fees, closing costs, right? So you're down almost twenty thousand dollars just to close, right? As opposed to being down six grand and not paying your CMHC fee, right? So already you're you're in a in a negative situation if you if you have to use grand. CMHC, right? Yeah. You're not only that CMHC is when when they give you these these insured loans is actually to live in the property. Very it's restrictive. Not, it's restrictive. So some people want to circumvent it or whatever the case may be, and that's that's a personal choice. But at the end of the day, how many times are you going to be able to go to CMHC and say, I'm living somewhere? That's not a business plan. So already you need 20%. You've just closed. And then now you have to float the renovation, and you have to make the monthly payments on the property. So now you have Very negative nice. cash flow. For four or five, six months. And then depending on when you finish the property, you might not finish in the optimal market. What if we finished the property last September? Or what if we finished the property last March? Mm-hmm. Well, now you might have to hold the empty property for three, four or five months. The carrying cost. The carry cost is, is, is going to add up. So when you're talking about, you know, I guess flipping for beginners or people want to get in and, and get started. I don't really see that as a viable option unless they, they really have a lot of uh, help, a lot of financing, maybe it's from family, friends, or something of that nature, and they're going to pool their resources. Mm-hmm. Because I think any flip, and that was on a $400,000 house, we were talking about eighty grand. you are probably going to need you know $150,000 to flip something in the four dollars to $500,000 range. It's very capital intensive. It's very capital intensive, and it's not like you're getting a for sure outcome. So if someone, instead of maybe someone flipping a property or, you know, renovating to sell or whatever the case may be, I that's why I like pre-construction, right? Because I think um, you you it's a little bit more predictable gains. There, It's, it's less labor intensive. It's oh, less man. cash intensive. Sure. So we're trying to point the, the younger audience here in the right direction, saying, well, a lot of these people, maybe they don't have 150000 Do they have the time? Do they have the time to sit and renovate and micromanage a yeah, property? Because if you do huge, not manage that's a, full-time a job, job in itself, it's yeah, a job. Oh job. my God. You're there, you're, you're managing eight to 10 people. And in this industry, you need to know everybody's job. Like I'm not a plumber, but I know what it's supposed, how it's supposed mm-hmm. to be done properly. I don't lay floors, but I've seen enough of them done. And I, I've, I always ask questions on site. So whenever I'm on site, it's like, how does this happen? Why are you doing it this way and not that way? So I'm always very involved. So I know everybody's job, mm-hmm. right? And I can tell them. And it's just in, as, as a PM, as a construction manager, as a developer, you have to be intimately involved when, in everybody's job. So if they want to flip and they have the capital, I think it's a good way to, yeah, make some money and um, learn a skill. But other than that, it, it's probably better just to go in, buy pre-construction in the secondary market, Wait for it. You can close with 5% down. Maybe you can even make smaller payments until it's time for closing. And you don't need all the cash. And you you can still pretty much come out ahead. Make that money and then some on top of that. Exactly. Like for me personally, I read that the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) I realized that flipping wasn't the wave after my last flip. Sure. Because the amount of time that you spend on site 
is 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 like getting compensated for a full job. Time is money. A full time job, but right. you're not even getting compensated yet. You don't it's even know. Just, you don't have a full outcome. You don't have a guaranteed outcome. No, it's just a fiction of your imagination. Literally, yes. like you don't know what's gonna come out of this. And you spend four or five months. You're in there. You're you're on site and you're heavily involved. And you have all these different people with different personalities. I had sure. one guy that was a, a nightmare to deal with, and then he didn't like working when this guy was working. Yeah, so you have to schedule him. Yeah. <laughs> But then I'd have to be there to just just to mediate between the two of them just to make sure nothing happens or no one's sabotaging someone else's work. And it's a nightmare. Yeah, but I think this is what's prepared you for the next step. Oh, 100%. So, so yeah. if someone's saying, hey, you know, Shred, I want to get into development, and I think this was what brings the conversation full circle, yes, I would totally say flip houses. This is what you need to do because you're not going to start with a multi-million dollar project when you haven't even done anything small. You have when to you walk have before you can run. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest with you, the, the renovations are harder than the new construction because they're on a smaller scale. You're dealing with a lot of mom and pop people. You're dealing with a lot of people who might not be the most professional or they're professional, but they have to manage their books. They have to give out estimates. They have to come and do the job as well, right? So it's 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 a, it's a lot more multifaceted for them to come. So it, And it becomes a much more difficult task. When you get to the development space and you're, you're working on a bigger scale, you're dealing with companies. I'm dealing with a company. If, if a guy, if we had that same conflict uh, on my site with a guy who didn't want to work with another guy, I call the foreman who calls his boss, who replaces that guy, puts him on another site and brings me another guy and I call it, thank you very much, have simple. a nice day. Yeah. It's very simple because there, there's certain provisions in place for something like this. But when you're working on that small scale, you are very much hands-on. You're in the mud. You're in the dirt. So that's where I learned the craft. Because after you seen, then he started building the retirement home. It was up to me. So not only was I manning the budget, the performer, I was on site. Mm-hmm. And I was managing these things. And, and we're not even building um, new construction. You know, like say you have a relationship and you started off right. It seems to go a lot better. But imagine if you have a relationship, then it goes kind of sideways. And sometimes to bring it back to the center is a lot more difficult than just to start something from the beginning. (laughs) This is how the renovation is. When you have to tap in the shoddy work, stuff that's been done before from somebody else, you don't know what they did. Did they do it with a permit? Did they not do it? It's an 80-year-old house. It's it's fraught with the different obstacles that you have. Now, when you're starting a new construction, everything is new, right? Mm-hmm. So the renovation, if you're going to get into development space, it's it's absolutely a great thing. But if that's not your ultimate goal and you're saying, hey, I just want to put something in and make yeah, some money, money yeah. I might steer clear of it unless I had obviously a lot of financial assistance and this was something I wanted to do long term. If not, go buy a property, whether it's a condo, townhouse in, in the developing market, Ottawa, we were looking at the other day, or if you're talking about Niagara or somewhere on a major highway, and sit and wait. Yeah, that's a lot more um, certainty. It sounds like with renovations, there's a lot of uncertainties, a lot of things that could jump up that could kind of eat into your profits and essentially kind of derail you from your process of making money. Because it sounds like with pre-construction, you can kind of just put your money down and wait. It's not as much work it may be a little bit a longer of a time period sure um but you can also buy assignments right like you don't have to buy something that's two or three years out you could purchase something that's going to be closing within the next year the next six months or something along those lines too right right so it'd still be pre-construction but um there it's there's other parts of the process that you can do which which makes sense so i i think you know full circle the whole story is let's maybe dial back on on the renovations right now unless you're in a space where it's something that you're going to be doing long term um yeah deal with the pre-construction deal with the assignments uh i think it's a lot more predictable growth it's it's it doesn't become a a full-time job 
which means that you can uh, focus uh, your energies other where, <laughs> right? So then there, that has obviously a coupling effect because now you actually have this um, property working in the background where you're not really actively managing mm-hmm. it. And then you can put some energies into something else that can also make you profit. So, you know, I don't want to discourage people um, from doing home renovations. Well, especially if it's for themselves and they can definitely add value maybe before they're going to sell their property or something of that nature. But at the same time, we want to illuminate some of the pitfalls so they're aware. I, we don't want to, you know, have this uh, fantastical idea of what these renovations are going to be or how much it's going to take. And then they get deeply involved and realize it's something else. 100%. As you guys know, every episode we end off with a book recommendation. So we have The Richest Man in Babylon. Sherard, talk to us a little bit about that because you've been preaching about this book and, you know, said it's a great book for me to read. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to. It's the next one on my list. Well, get it on your list. And it's one of my favorites. I read it about a decade and a half ago. Very important book because it talks about the seven rules of money. And what, what I've realized a lot of people, they make money. They don't understand how money works. They don't understand how to get it in the put it into the economy and get it back. And what they really have to do to be able to multiply their wealth and their income. Um, I think Twee and, Twee and I, we were talking the other day. We, obviously, we went to Ottawa together and we were talking about, you know, just inflation, um, how money is moved. I think somebody asked me, you know, should they buy a car cash or should they take it? We're like, no, you, you never buy anything cash. You, 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 pay, you make your monthly payments, you invest the difference, and then you take the money you're making from your investment to pay for the car. Right. So this is kind of this is book has those rules, how to manage money. A lot of people get wealth, um, but they don't know how to keep it. And, and, that, and that's one of the things I think we'll get into it later. But when I talk about like maybe professional basketball players or professional singers and things of that nature, they make this abundance of wealth. And people always wonder, well, how come they can't keep their money? Because they get the money and then they give it to a financial advisor. They give it to somebody else to manage. They don't understand the fundamentals of money. So this is one of the books I tell them, no, understand these principles and you can save yourself a lot of issues later. Don't let somebody else master your destiny. Especially understanding your own consumption. That's huge. Like If you make a million dollars, but you spend a million and one, you're broke. You're done. You know, you right. can make 100000 if you only spend 10000 They say it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Exactly. Right. And I think that's a very important thing. And that, like, growing up, and you saw my dad, who's obviously mentored me a lot of these things. But now I like to add to those things. It's like I like to operate from a place of abundance. So, yes, I, I obviously you don't want to spend as much as you're making. But at the same time, I want to always... Think about the next level, the next thing I'm going to get to, and try to make more money. I, I tell people, you're not going to save your way to financial prosperity. You're, you can add to it, but if you want to make a billion dollars, if you want to make $10 million, you're not going to save your way there. You, you don't even make enough money to save your way there. You have to invest your way to get to these things. This money has to grow. So don't think you're going to say, oh, like Steve Jobs didn't save his way to a billion dollars. It's not possible. He never had a billion dollars before that go through his account. So how are you going to get there? And you still have to consume. You still have to live. So the whole point is operate from a place of abundance. Look at people in your circle who, or outside of your circle who are where you want to go. Mimic their steps and know that you're going to have to take some risk and you're going to have to make some investments. People have this notion that, hey, I can just work this nine to five and I'm going to have financial security by the time I'm 65 or 70. Well, is that really one when you want to be financially secure at 65 or 70? No, you want to be financially secure a lot earlier so you can still travel. People say, well, I'm going to travel when I get older. Are you going to be in the physical health and condition to travel when you get older, right? Like, these are things that are guaranteed. So I never take today for granted. And I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very stuck on what I can do right now. I plan for the future, but I also live for today. 
That's huge. Because I remember when I was talking to you about um, building a custom home and out up north, and you're like, you're like, Tui, stop focusing on saving money. Focus on making, <laughs> making money. more money. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop focusing. On like, you know what? I think people get so caught up in the saving money. Oh, I have the TFSA, I have the RSP, and they're saving it. But actually, for, for what purpose? Are they saving it for the, for the bank to get rich? Because what are they doing? You know what the bank does with your money that you're saving? Invest it. They invest it. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you should be doing. Yeah, you, you have to invest it. My grandparents had some money under the mattress. We can't say how much, you know, but when you look at like um, inflation, they, they had $100 under the mattress. They take it out of the mattress 10 years from now. It's worth 65 when you look at purchasing power. So when we're talking about the richest man in Babylon, when we're talking about these things, we have to, uh, we, we need to demystify money. We need to break it down and let people understand. This is why you have to invest. If you're not making money, if you're not investing money, if your money's not growing, you're losing money. There's only two options. There's no such thing as being stagnant in this world. You're either moving ahead or you're being left behind. So don't think I'm going to take my money, I'm going to leave my equity in my house. I'm going to sit on this money in my TFSA and think I'm going to have it for a rainy day. Okay, you leave the money in your house in the equity and the market goes down. And now you need access to it and it's not available. Or during COVID, people had money in their house, but they didn't have the job. Maybe they weren't working the time. Or the banks have tightened up living restrictions. Up, yeah. So now you have this money and you don't have access to it. You can't get it. Right. So you never want to leave your destiny in someone else's hand. So I tell everyone like this in these type of books and, and just... Learning about financial literacy is something that is, it's not something that is optional. It's like swimming, like you need it. It's a life-saving skill. Financial literacy is a life-saving skill. Don't get in the water if you can't swim. Don't walk around any day. If you don't, if you don't have this financial literacy, if you're not up on books like this, if you're not taking the time to learn these things, you are setting yourself up for failure. Straight up. Gems. Um, Tweet What's the quote Gems. for the day, man? Drop it out. So us. the quote of the day is, when you invest... You are buying a day that you don't have to work. So you got to treat investments, money like seeds. You got to plant them and then you got to, they'll bear fruit and you can reap those fruit at a later date. All right. Thanks for tuning into this episode of M2M. I am Daniel King Sold. I'm Tweet, Tweet Estate. And Sherrod McQueen. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.